Hey guys, happy to have y'all here. Welcome to episode one of the pod, Trust the Doc Sports Podcast. Just before we get into things, I wanted to give a little bit of an intro uh, so you guys get to know me a little bit better. Uh, my name's Austin. I'm a West Virginia emergency medicine physician. Lived most of my life in Pennsylvania, even lived in Philadelphia a couple of years. So you know I'm a Philly sports fan through and through, uh, you know, the Eagles and the Sixers especially. But the reason I started this podcast is really rooted out of my love for sports in general, but especially the NBA and for sure the NFL. I love that. I know most of you share out there as well. And in a world with the current circumstances that we have going on right now, uh, not a lot of joy going around these days. And I think people forget the impact that sports has on our lives in a positive manner. And I really hope you guys can listen to this podcast, tell your friends, hear some honest, truthful takes about sports, and... Just get some joy from sports, because that's what it's really all about for us as the consumer, as the fans. So stay tuned, tell your friends, and hope you guys enjoy. Um, so now that we got that out of the way, I want to start. I want to start about drafting, building teams. So there's this mantra, especially in the NBA: Do you get the superstar? Everybody's after the big superstar, which you do need a superstar to win a championship these days. But what about the draft? I feel like so many people forget about the draft. And the NBA is a little different than the NFL. It's easier to find stars in the NFL in later rounds, hidden gems. The NBA, yeah, you have Jokic and Giannis and guys like that. But for the most part, people are in the top five, top ten, and, and that's really about it. But you look at the NBA today. You have stars going everywhere, thanks to LeBron about a decade ago, really starting the player empowerment movement, really stripping power from the owners. But you look back at the Celtics, the Warriors, the two finals teams this year, definitely the best two teams in the league. They deserve to be in the finals. Look at their rosters. Golden State's had three players on the same team for the longest amount of time in the NBA in Steph, Clay, and Draymond. You look at the Celtics, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, really all of that thanks to the Sixers still hurts me to this day. But those teams were built through the draft. And you saw how good both of those teams are from an organizational standpoint all the way down. They draft well. They coach well. They play hard. They play system basketball. They don't rely on superstars to ISO and take control of the game. You look at the Nets with Kevin Durant, Kyrie, James Harden. It was like a video game. Everybody was salivating over that roster. They even had some bench players who could shoot, do some of the dirty work. On paper, they looked outstanding. They looked like finals favorites. Then you see as the year goes on, it's not always about getting the biggest names on paper. Really, you got to get guys that are bought in, bought into what your organization and what your coach is doing, have a system in place that everybody's comfortable with, and you got to have guys that can play and hustle, selfless guys who can play. And yeah, sure, you need a superstar in games to pull you through a lot of times, especially in the playoffs. It's almost impossible to win. But now, we're looking at these teams... And it feels like almost every team has, you know, a superstar, if you use the term loosely, but at least a star. I mean, you look at Memphis with Ja, Dallas with Luka, Suns have Booker, Aiton, Paul. It's like all these teams have one, two, three good players. And I think the differing factor, the factor that sets everybody else apart, like the Celtics and the Warriors, is they really build through the draft and develop their guys into really good players. You look at the Warriors, they still have Poole, Kaminga, Wiseman, all those guys coming up the pipeline. Not only as trade assets, but to help them transition into a time where, you know, 
Steph, Clay, Draymond maybe aren't at their best or maybe, you know, out of there or done playing basketball. So they're really set up for the future, even despite their really high salary they're paying guys. But I just want to touch on that to start just because I feel like the popular thing now is everybody loves these stars and it feels like everybody's loving stars instead of their traditional teams. And that's really got to piss the owners off. I mean, you're, you're owning these teams, you make billions of dollars, but really you can be just stripped of everything in a year. Like the Nets, look at the Nets. You know, they could lose Kyrie, they could lose Kevin Durant, they already lost Harden. Um, they're losing everything. If Kevin Durant and Kyrie leave, there's nothing there. And they were building something for a couple of years, really building up their culture, have nice pieces. Yeah, they didn't really have that go-to star, so I understand the move from the Nets part, but... It's really an example of how you can really get burned by playing it like a video game instead of building through the draft and maybe taking a chance on the star once you have the assets to trade for it. But now, the NBA is pretty broken at this point. The owners really need to take some power back. I'm always pro player. Players should get paid as much as they deserve. They deserve as much money. Who am I to comment on another man's uh, salary, what they're taking home for their family? Good for them. They should be paid as much as they can make but the owners man it's a scary situation to be in when you have this big asset this big team that your profit margin is just going to be potentially you know not destroyed but take a large hit or big profit share loss if you if your star guys leave and the brooklyn nets are facing that right now and the whole go bear trade situation doesn't really help anybody either because he went for a haul a king's ransom and now teams are looking at Kevin Durant. The Nets are like, hey, Rudy Gobert went for this. Kevin Durant's worth infinitely more than Rudy Gobert. So from what I'm hearing around the league and from sources, it sounds like the Nets are quote-unquote trying to trade Kevin Durant, but the asking price is just astronomical, which makes sense. I mean, he's a generational player. He's going to be a top 15 player, at least skill-wise, when it's all said and done. And it's just a no-win situation, really, for, for all the parties involved because the Nets are playing this, like, you know, we'll ask we'll ask a really high price and then, oh, Kevin Durant's going to stay on our team and play for us. Like, sucks for you, Kevin. But that's exactly what the Nets want. If they can't get a haul, a King's Ransom in return, they have no reason to trade Kevin Durant. None. Kevin Durant is too old to sit out for a season He's too old for that nonsense. And it's in the Nets' best interest to make things work with one of the best players to ever pick up the ball and lace up the shoes. In terms of Kyrie Irving, who knows with that guy. If you're talking skill, pound-for-pound pound players in history, he's up there with the Mount Rushmore of those guys. He is insanely talented, incredibly skilled. He's a guard that can shoot, dribble, finish in any way at the rim. Really a spectacular player just on the court. But then you have to deal with everything else that comes with Kyrie, which we all know at this point. So, not a lot of suitors for Kyrie for those reasons. Obvious take here is look at the Lakers. They're desperate. They need help. <laughs> Lots more help than Kyrie can bring, but Kyrie is definitely an upgrade over the guard they have now. Problem with that is, nobody wants Russ. Russ has been on so many teams in the last four or five years, he switches every year it feels like. His style of play is trending away from the direction of the NBA. The NBA is becoming a softer league. It's more about shooting, finesse, 
those kind of things, all of which Russell Westbrook lacks. And say what you want about him. I know people are talking a lot of crap about him. It's really easy to pile on, but he is one of the best players that we've seen in our lifetime, at least from a stats perspective, hustling perspective. Just he's he's a winner. At least he gives it all on the court to try to win, which is all you can really ask for a guy. The issue is, as previously stated, his game does not mesh, especially with LeBron James. LeBron still has a lot left in the tank. He can drop 30 a night still um, on any given night. Um, maybe not the best player in the league. I'd tip my hat to Giannis for sure on that one, and definitely some others above LeBron right now. Uh, that's not in question, but he's still an excellent above-average basketball player. It's just you got to build a team around LeBron. Assuming Anthony Davis is healthy with LeBron, obviously that combo is lethal. But you bring in a guy like Kyrie, you somehow ship Russ out, maybe get a shooter, a 3 and D guy in there, maybe two, somebody who can defend and score on the wing. You're looking like a much improved team. You really are. And you'll always have that LA Lakers draw, that draw of the Lakers history, the championships, what it means to be a Laker, even when they're down. You know, that will always be for in their favor. So, I think the Lakers can turn it around. Not so sure what the Nets are going to do. Uh, we'll see how all that plays out. Um, the way it's looking right now, today, kind of sounds like the Lakers are going to let it ride with Russ. They don't really have a choice. And who knows what's going to happen with Kyrie and KD. Still looking like maybe they'll uh, play in a Nets uniform next year, both of them. But we'll really never know until this all unfolds. Because a lot of wild cards there. <laughs> a lot of stuff left up to random chance kind of out of the owners and the coaches and the GM's hands. So we'll see how all that works out here shortly. But while we're on the NBA, just wanted to talk about the landscape, um, specifically the Eastern Conference, just with the the Sixers here especially. Um, probably the most frustrating, frustrating team in the NBA from my perspective. Feels like every single year for the past, what, basically since they've had a healthy Embiid that – especially in the Eastern Conference, their roster has what it takes to at least get them to be a competitive finals-level team. And then you get closer to every year, and you start the year and you watch them, and you just realize they're just they're missing a piece. Every year they're missing a piece. It's so frustrating because they've cycled guys in, cycled guys out, and they just can't find that complete roster, that last piece. Right now, um, James Harden, if he can get back to any semblance of his old self, who knows if he can. We're not going to spend time on that today. But if he can just, you know, get 20 a game, distribute well, play okay defense, they'll be all right. Toby's played well, especially in the playoffs. It's just his contract is a problem. And he's really in that spot, that third-star spot, um, you know, third, four-star spot, where you really love to have a guy that can do just a little bit more than Toby's been doing. But the Sixers had their chance, man. Like a lot of other NBA teams, um, they, they had their chance in the draft. I mean, there was a four out of five or five year stretch there, really, with the Embiid, the Simmons, the Nerlens Noel, the Okafor, the Markel Fultz, where they just botched, and I mean botched picks that really, really set the franchise back and could have changed the landscape of the NBA. I mean, you draft. I can't even say it with a straight face. You you don't draft Jason Tatum from Duke. Coach K. Jason Tatum. 
the next Kobe. At least so he thought. I mean, you draft Markel Fultz, and he's basically a non-factor in the league now, and you have Tatum, which say what you want about him, but you know, he's a heck of a lot better than Markel right now. And you put him on the Sixers, man, who knows what would have happened with him and Embiid. Who knows, but... And the whole Simmons thing, we won't get into. Probably the most frustrating player in the league in terms of potential and you know lack of work ethic for what he's got and all that kind of maturity issues going on. And it's just really a terrible sad end for the Sixers on that pick. Really could have been something special if they could have worked that out. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, that's how it goes. So all you can do is look forward. Sixers had a decent offseason. Some additions, P.J. Tucker, you know, House, those guys should be able to help the team, but it's going to come down to Embiid's health. Uh, if Maxi can continue to ascend, and ultimately what version of James Harden are we going to get? So we'll put that to rest for now. Going to transition over to the NFL. With the draft and free agency mostly coming to a close, these are the rosters we're going to be seeing from these teams, you know, in 50 or so days heading into the opener of the NFL season. It's exciting stuff. Uh, I'm going to break down the NFC side of things here in the end of this episode, and then next week, or next episode rather, we'll focus on the uh, the AFC, the other half of things. Uh, but quickly before I wanted to touch on that, uh, I just want to talk about the evolution of the NFL and really the emergence and increasing importance of the quarterback position and nailing the pick there. So teams that are stuck in mediocrity, um, you know, with a couple exceptions, but for the most part, are just teams that cannot get the quarterback right. I mean, look at the Panthers, for example. A lot of talk lately of Baker Mayfield and all his drama and Sam Darnold, but if you remember back just a couple of years ago, those two guys, you know, for the most part, the majority of people scouting in the media, those two were the guys. Those were the top two guys, right? Big D1 schools, big arms, big prospects. You know, Baker Mayfield was all the hype going number one was supposed to be the surefire pick. And then you have Josh Allen, the unproven but physically gifted prospect from Wyoming, uh, going later in the round, and then even Lamar Jackson. Um, it's just interesting stuff, right? Because scouting is difficult. There's a lot of factors that you can't predict, uh, such as how much a guy really loves football, as if, does he play through pain? Is football the thing that he thinks about in the morning and the thing that he thinks about at night before bed? And... Some of these mediocre guys, I feel like, just don't have that. I mean, physical attributes aside, Baker Mayfield just doesn't strike me as the guy that thinks about football 24-7. Feels like he has more commercials than football wins. Hell, passes completed. So, them picking up him is an interesting pick in Carolina. Bringing in a guy with Sam Darnold, who he spent a decent, uh, decent amount on to get Darnold in there. Um, really got Baker for cheap. I think it averaged out to like $3 million from the Panthers' side. But Baker taking a pretty sizable pay cut um, for the $10 million from the Browns and the $3 million from the Panthers. So um, it's going to be an interesting situation down there. But I brought them up just because it seems like the Panthers are just settling, right? Obviously, there's not 32 Josh Allens, 32 Patrick Mahomes, 32 Herberts and Burrows out there. I understand there's a different level of asset and what you can get as a squad but it just seems like they're settling among some other teams where you're really not putting yourself in any position to succeed if you just have mediocre quarterback play 
you just can't win. You can't win a Super Bowl these days, it seems like, without any heroic quarterback play. I mean, look at Joe Burrow and the Bengals. I mean, just a couple of years ago, um, you know, after the Marvin Lewis playoff years, it seems like they were in a really tough spot. And they go, they aggressively get Joe Burrow. Um, his past year's draft, they really needed an offensive lineman with Burrow's injury history and all that stuff going on. But what do they do? Even with good old linemen in the draft, what do they do? They go out and get his buddy Jamar Chase, and look how that worked out. They're one of the best quarterback receiver duos in the league already, in my opinion. And they got to the Super Bowl and had a good shot of winning it, honestly. And their line isn't even really that good at all. Their O-line, it's definitely an issue they've tried to address this offseason, and we'll see how that plays out for Joe and his health. But it just goes to show you that with a quarterback surrounded by good weapons, That goes far in today's league with today's rules. And as we get into sort of the NFC landscape and AFC landscape next episode, we'll definitely touch on this and the importance of teams that take big swings at quarterback, yes, but most importantly teams that once they have a quarterback that they're not 100% sure of or even just a new quarterback they have, you have to do everything in your power, everything you can do to get them weapons to get a fair evaluation because You can sit with them in the meeting room and get an idea of the guy and the leader they are. You can pour through all the high school, the college, whatever tape you have. But at the end of the day, you got to give the guy weapons to succeed to see what he has. If you surround a guy with two, three, four great pass catchers at any position and your team is not elevated by his play, then you know he's not the guy. And the problem is a lot of teams either don't have the financial ability to do this or they for whatever reason stall and expect the quarterback that they're getting to kind of elevate the play uh, just by getting there rather than giving him all the resources he needs to succeed. And we'll kind of transition here to the NFC landscape and talk about the Eagles um, because I think they highlight this fact perfectly. So they get Carson Wentz originally. Um, You know, not a traditional D1 powerhouse school um, with the Dakotas. Um, so it was kind of a question mark, can this guy play in the big games? He's big, he's got a big arm, not the most accurate quarterback, but he had some intangibles that you couldn't teach in terms of physical traits. So they bring him in, I know I was excited, all the Eagles fans were excited, and it feels like even when he had that little MVP run uh, before his injury, it just seems like we didn't surround him with all the best weapons that we could. And even in the years after that, it always frustrated me that it seemed like Howie never took the opportunity to surround him with the best weapons possible. And that really, really bugged me because there was a part of me rooting for Wentz and hoping that we could get the best out of him and get him back to MVP form, but it just never ended up happening for a multitude of reasons. But nonetheless, I still don't think Howie put him in the best position to exceed from uh, to succeed Excuse me, from a weapons standpoint. One thing I will credit Howie Roseman for um Now, as we have this quarterback, Jalen Hurts, um, great dual threat guy. Who knows if he can be the long-term guy this season. We'll shed some light on that. Um, But what he did is instead of trying to draft another receiver that he was going to whiff on, you know, like a Rager, that kind of guy, the JJ, all that stuff, I just, it's too painful to hash into. Um, He went out and got A.J. Brown on draft night. A proven superstar, yes, injury issues, but... Excellent pass catcher, tough runner, makes plays after the catch. He's an excellent receiver in the NFL. He's a star receiver in the NFL. 
And he went out and got him on draft night. And I think it was an incredibly bold but smart move by Howie saying, hey, look, I, I don't know if I can get the receiver right this year. And teams traded up for receivers this year right before the Eagles in the first round. It was, you know, maybe they had their eye on some of those other guys. But Howie did the right thing. He's buddies with Jalen Hurts. And it looks like him and Devonta Smith are getting along well, too. And I think, you know, his more veteran presence around some of those young weapons and really can teach them how to be winners in the NFL and how to become better players, better receivers. So I love the move, but it just goes to show the philosophical ideas in the NFL is when you get a guy and you need to evaluate him, you need to surround him with all the talent that you can get your hands on. Because if you just wait a year, two years, three years, four years, whatever, all the rookie contract, you just wasted that entire window of having a cheap quarterback. Saves you so much money to bulk, get those weapons, bolster up the roster, and see if he's the guy. Rather than piddle-paddle around for three, four, you know, fifth-year option-type deals and never truly know if he's the guy and then have to lay down a giant contract when you're really not sure. And a lot of these teams are in that situation right now. And it's not a position that many people envy to be in. It's really not fun. So I applaud Howie uh, for taking that chance. Um, but again, leading into the landscape in the NFC, uh, we touched mostly on the Eagles there, but their offense is new and reloaded. But again, we'll depend on Jalen Hurts and if he can basically hit open receivers. A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Quez, they have speed now. They have real speed that they haven't really had, you know, the last four, five, six years. So they should be a fun team if healthy. Their defense, uh, not flashy pickups, but definitely got some help. Um, on all levels of defense, both in free agency and the draft. Howie always builds through the line, so I love the Jordan Davis pick to pair up with Fletcher Cox. That should be a lot of fun. Um, love the center pick, not initially, but after hearing Kelsey and some other draft analysis, I think that kid's got some potential once Kelsey leaves this year or next year. And N'Kobe Dean, I know like other Eagles fans, we were rooting for N'Kobe Dean and we were pissed the center got picked over him, but then we ended up getting him next round. So, you know, we'll see what his injury concerns are all about and all that stuff. But I think if he's healthy and he steps on the field, he will be a difference maker for the Eagles because they are thin at linebacker and have been traditionally. Um, so we'll see how it plays out for the Eagles. Um, I do think that they have a solid shot at winning the division. Actually, I think they are going to win the division, even with the bias. Uh, that we try to exclude. However, I, I think they have the best roster right now. Um, and then pivoting over to their biggest rival, Dallas. Uh, I think they got worse this offseason when a lot of teams got better. And, you know, they let Amari Cooper go, which is like, oh, whatever. Um, but he's a good receiver. You know, maybe not a superstar, but he's a good receiver. And Dak's numbers without him are staggeringly worse. So we'll see if CD can carry the load there. They have great tight end play when healthy. Not concerned about that position. Tony Pollard, an incredibly explosive back. Zeke, making way too much money. He'll never be his old self, but um, he could probably still have some good production this year. And the rest is on back in the defense. I think the defense will be okay. I mean, they give up some yards here and there, but they got some playmakers, and Micah Parsons is the stud of that defense, and he's going to make things happen. I mean, you lose Randy Gregory off the edge, so we'll see how that happens. That's uh, based off a last-minute contract clause that Randy Gregory did not like. Um, but we'll see. It should be an interesting race for the division. 
Um, like I said, I think the Cowboys got worse this offseason. They'll always be in the mix. They'll have a good record. Dak can put up yards, especially in, you know, front-running kind of situations against the NFC East and some other weaker opponents. So I suspect that they'll still have a decent record, but I do think the Eagles get the one spot in the division. Um, looking over to Washington, looks like it's going to be Carson's team's third team here now. He actually had a good statistical year on the Colts. It was just really overshadowed by that horrible, horrible ending game against Jacksonville where I don't think anybody really played well. I watched that game. I remember. I just, Carson did not play well and made a lot of bad mistakes that just prevented them from getting back in that game, and that really severed that relationship down there. So we'll see what he can do with Ron Rivera up here. He's got Scary Terry, an excellent receiver, um, some good backs, a couple of other weapons, but... We'll see for Carson. This this may be his real last chance to be a legitimate starting quarterback. So we'll see what he does with that team. Washington always fights hard with Ron Rivera. You know, a pretty traditional style team. They're going to be tough. They're going to play you hard no matter who you are. Um, but they're not very flashy, not a very high-powered offense. So I suspect them to be middle of the road or slightly below um, in that division. And New York... I mean, they, they had a good draft. They really did for the Giants. They had a good draft. Um, otherwise, I mean, Danny Dimes really approve it year for him. I just don't think he has the stuff. Got overdrafted out of Duke, and just that whole draft just did not make sense. Like the, it, I think it was a six pick. That just sounds that sounds too high, but um, it was just truly a reach. And I just don't think that he has it. I don't know if it's upstairs or what. Uh, he can move, he can run when he gets open field, but, you know, the Giants just have so many holes. And you can't expect a guy like the, uh, like Danny Jones just to go in there and hide all those holes, you know. Hopefully Saquon can stay healthy and be productive for them. But, um, you know, they, they did improve through the O&D line in the draft, so that should help them. Uh, but I don't I don't expect them to be real competitors for that division this year. Um, so I'm giving that one to the Eagles, but Tom will tell. Moving over to the NFC South. Uh, this, I mean, to me, is just an obvious one. As long as Brady's going to be on the Bucks, it's it's a lock for them. Uh, not that they're the best roster in the league, but you have weapons all over the field. Receiver, tight end, backs. And you got Tom Brady, the best freaking player to ever live, to ever play the game. He's going to turn 45 and he's still not quitting. He's barely even slowing down. He's been in the MVP conversation, what it seems like, the last couple of years. Just incredible. Incredible story coming from Michigan. His whole life is just one giant enigma. It is really just crazy. So, really milking the last years out of Brady here. Um, but I suspect they run away with that division easily. Um, with the Saints... The coaching, the you know, Jameis being healthy, all those changes. We'll see what happens with Michael Thomas. Obviously an elite receiver in terms of numbers before this past season. Kamara, one of the top five backs in my opinion, in terms of just production with rushing and receiving. So they'll be competitive. I, I'm interested to see how much of that was Sean Payton versus just the Saints culture. Um, but we'll see. I, I expect them to be competitive. You know they always play the Bucks tough. Their defense is usually extremely good, especially in those types of games. So I see them being competitive. Um, 
much more so than the rest of their division. I think Carolina, like I touched on earlier, is is in trouble. Um, C-Max health aside, uh, they just don't have the best roster. They just they don't have a complete roster right now, and it's going to be tough to compete with either of those two cats at quarterback. Like we mentioned earlier, if you have a mediocre guy, heck, two mediocre guys, you can't win in this league consistently. You can't win in pressure or playoff situations if you don't have a guy that can elevate you when your team needs you most. And they just don't have it. So I feel bad for Charlotte, Carolina. Um, you know, they really just got to figure out that quarterback position. And who knows? Maybe one of those two guys proved me wrong and ascend here. But I've seen a pretty good sample size of both at this point, And uh, I'm not very impressed. But... Uh, we'll see how that all unfolds. And then to Atlanta with those recent chase changes as well. Uh, Kyle Pitts, obviously a monster. <laughs> Calvin Ridley just couldn't lay off, couldn't lay off the fan duel. Um, so he'll be out. Uh, really just a depleted team uh, on both sides of the ball. So we'll see how that situation shakes out. But I don't suspect them to be competitive. I suspect them to have, you know, a... Uh, a couple of wins this season, obviously, but I don't think they're going to be close to 500. Um, I think the Bucks sweep that division. Moving over to the NFC North, a more interesting division this year than past. Obviously, you have the Packers and Rodgers and their loaded roster running away with it, what it seems like the last couple of years. Rodgers back-to-back MVPs. It just, I don't see them returning with that much, that much firepower this year. You lose probably the best receiver in the NFL, at least by most standards, in Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon. You have a great backfield, but your weapons just aren't there. They're not there. So we'll really see what Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are made of here this season, especially early. You know, Devontae Adams bailed bailed them out of so many situations. The guy is an absolute animal. So we'll see if Rodgers learns to trust those young guys, trust other receivers. Um, I suspect that from a fantasy football perspective, the running backs and tight ends will be getting a lot more production. So look to pick those guys up in your leagues. Um, but yeah, I think I think the Packers are on a bit of a backslide, which you know isn't that bold of a prediction after losing your best receiver and you know having easily double-digit win seasons with back-to-back MVPs from your quarterback. It's hard to take a step forward from that. But I don't expect them to to go very far in the playoffs. I mean, they've shown you time and time again. They front run all year, and then they get to the playoffs, and their team doesn't show up, whether that's Rodgers or coaching or whatever. They just don't show up. So I'm tired of the Packers, to be honest with you. Uh, I feel like I've seen it all, and it can only get worse without Devontae Adams. So my bold my bold claim, or maybe not so bold claim, is that I don't see the Packers winning the division. I think they can still get in on a wild card, which they probably will. Um, leads me to the next team. I think, I think Minnesota is actually going to win the division this year. Um, I mean, say what you want about Kirk Cousins, but the guy produces. And now that Zimmer's out, and he's got a new tall Sean McVay, offensive-minded coach, who knows what he can do? Um, coming from an older, more rigid defensive head coach style system. You know, with this new offensive-minded coach. And Jefferson is turning into an elite receiver. You have Thielen, Dalvin. You got weapons. They got a good offense. 
Their defense was, I think, 30th last year, so not fantastic. But even still, they had the most one-possession losses last year and only had one double-digit loss. You know, a lot of tough games that could have gone either way. So I really do think they have a bounce-back year. They have a favorable schedule as well. I think they're going to win a lot of games. And their biggest rival, Green Bay, they always play tough. Always. So... I think the Packers are in trouble this year. I think the Vikings are going to jump out and win that division. So it'll be fun to see how that plays out. But the other exciting team I wanted to touch on in that division uh, is the Bears. You know, So never really the flashiest weapons, offense. Uh, Montgomery's fun to watch. And, you know, they, they just don't have all the weapons that a lot of these other teams have. But Justin Fields, you know, how will he develop? Can he ascend to be the guy for Chicago that they so desperately need? That city needs a quarterback as mu- as bad as any city in the NFL. I think he's got potential. He, From what I'm hearing out of camp and reports, he, he's looking pretty good. So we'll see how that plays out. I mean, he can obviously get himself out of trouble with his legs, which is always a plus, especially for young quarterbacks. But again, goes back to the theory, you got to load him with talent. And I don't know if they're necessarily doing that right now. You get Nikhil Harry and whatnot, but if you're going to give him the best chance you can, you got to get him weapons. you got to get him receivers. Um, so I think Chicago has a chance to improve this year, but I do not see them making the playoffs, um, even though the NFC is pretty wide open um, comparison to the AFC. But um, I think optimism is in order in Chicago. It's just cautious optimism I think it's going to take more time than fans might like but I think there's a chance they found their guy but they just got to go all in and surround him with weapons to get a fair evaluation just to finish out the division and touch on Detroit I do like what they're doing there compared to historically speaking Um, they have some excitement and energy with Dan Campbell say what you want about him watch your kneecaps but the guy brings energy, which is what that city needs from a football perspective, which they've lacked for so long. Uh, Golf is a competent quarterback, yes, but definitely not a superstar um, by any sense of the by any sense of the word. But they're starting to get some weapons now. Trading up for Williams, um, they have good backs, um, some good weapons under the radar already there at receiver. They're going to be a feisty team. They're going to be feisty. You're not going to see these two, three-win Lions teams anymore. They're, they're going to be clawing towards 500. They're going to try their best. I think for the first time in a while, they have a culture. And I know Jared Goff probably isn't that guy, but he is sort of a good life preserver in the sense of building your team with young talent around him and maybe making a splash to get your guy at quarterback when the time's right. Um, but I think they'll be competitive. They're going to fight. I watched them last year. They fight every single game, and that's that's on culture. That's on the head coach, so I applaud them for that, honestly. After years of losing, that just gets ingrained in your culture and who you are, and I respect Dan Campbell for coming in and trying to shift that as weird as it may look, so I think they're going to be more and more fun each year, um, but again, I think it's just a little too soon, and with golf, you're just a little limited, unfortunately. Rounding out the NFC talk um, in the West, I mean, you obviously have the Rams, uh, Super Bowl Super Bowl champs, definitely uh, favorites to repeat, uh, at least on the NFC side. 
I mean, they're absolutely loaded. There's just no way around it. They are absolutely loaded. Cooper Cup absolutely breaking out into a star wide receiver, um, which is just a crazy story in and of itself with his background. Just really cool to see. And they get Stafford for a year. And look at what that does for you when you've got a talented quarterback. Not that he's the best quarterback in the league, but he's certainly above average in terms of ability uh, and experience as well. And look at what that did for them. Surrounded him with weapons. Stafford comes in, slings a rock. Uh, they can run the ball, even though they had some running back injuries this year. And their defense is stellar. It's solid. It's playoff-level defense at all levels. And all they did was rebuild. All they did was go get Bobby Wagner, go bolster up all levels of that team. So Rams are scary. I mean, it's it's really hard to repeat in the NFL, so who's to say that'll happen? But, I mean, I do see them winning that division again. Traditionally, it might be a little less tough now that Russell Wilson uh, is no longer there, but they're still going to be a powerhouse team. It's the Rams. They're at the poker table. They want a million on blackjack, and instead of getting their money and walking away, they just pushed it back to the middle. That's just their their strategy. So we'll see how long they can keep this up, but they're certainly taking advantage of their Super Bowl window, um, which is more than a lot of teams can say. So I applaud them. I applaud the strategy. How can you not like Sean McVay, the young boy wonder? So I applaud them. So we'll see how that works out for them, but I do see them winning the division again this year. Um. Moving over to the Niners, an interesting team, really. Been very competitive these past, you know, the better part of the decade. But their quarterback situation is interesting. Jimmy G, very polarizing player. Um, he does produce. He's not flashy. Um, but he wins. The Niners win. I think they're 31-14 and 14 with Jimmy G, and then they win like 25% of their games when he's not playing. So say what you want about him, but he's a winner. Um, but I, I don't necessarily fault them as a lot of people are in the media for taking a big swing on Trey Lance, three first round picks, um, everything they gave up to get him is a haul for an unproven, not division one power five school prospect who sat out basically his entire last college year, other than his, the first game of the season. So who knows, who knows how that'll all play out. Um, but I respect them for having the cojones to take a huge swing on a guy that they thought could be their next guy. And all they can do is, you know, keep Debo, keep Kittle, keep weapons around him. And if it doesn't work out this year, pivot. That's the name of the game. If you surround him with weapons, you find out that your guy's not the guy, just pivot. Just like Arizona did from this division. They had Rosen. They had some weapons with them. They realized very quickly he wasn't the guy. And the very next year, when they were still drafting high, they got Kyler. A really controversial thing to do at that time. I remember it was all the buzz. You just got Rosen. You got to let him develop. You know, all this stuff. And they just went out and got Kyler Murray. It was pretty crazy at the time. But now it doesn't seem so crazy. His contract situation is a whole different story. Um, But, you know, he's clearly talented. Some would say or most people would say one of the top quarterbacks in the league that's sort of right outside the fringe superstar level at this point. But his talent is undeniable. It's more a question of his commitment and durability at this point. Um, So we'll see how the Cardinals do with that. DeAndre Hopkins being healthy is a huge issue. 
if he can stay healthy, he catches everything within a 10-mile radius of the guy. So if he's healthy, that helps Kyler's development incredibly. Uh, they have they have some weapons around him too, and some, some backs as well. So we'll see what they can do with that. But again, it's more the fact that I don't trust Kyler's durability um, or Kingsbury completely, at least compared to McVay and Shanahan in that division. So um, we'll see how the Niners play out at quarterback. Uh, but their roster overall has been solid, and they're one of those programs, again, uh, organizations from the top down that is just solid as a rock. feels like every year they're just going to hit you harder or always be competitive. So I can never count the Niners out. Um, but one team in that division that's going to be out of luck uh, is Seattle, for sure. I mean, talk about talk about a step back. Talk about getting worse. You choose your you choose your head coach, I believe oldest coach in the league, over your starting, you know, probably future Hall of Fame quarterback. And there's been a lot of talk about is Russell Wilson that guy? You know, is he a Hall of Fame player? Was it him or the defense? Is he on the decline? All this stuff. And I'm not sure how it's going to work in Denver, to be honest with you. I'm not sure. But one thing I do know is he's an excellent player. Most teams in the league would love to have Russell Wilson rather than their current quarterback situation. So huge loss for Seattle. And who knows if it was that simple. Uh, It probably wasn't that simple. I think Russell Wilson just wanted out, but wanted to do it politely and not ruin his image, his Mr. Incredible image. So... I think a lot of it was because of that rather than the organization choosing Pete Carroll over Russell Wilson. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to be in a tough situation with Drew Locke or maybe they go get Jimmy G or whoever they're going to roll out there. It's going to be an automatic downgrade uh, to their team. So be interested to see how Russell works out in Denver, but I still think, uh, you know, the Seahawks will be a couple win team this year, drafting high next year. And overall, I think the Rams should take that division probably a little bit easier than in years past with the competitive nature of the NFC West. But that's all I really have in the NFC landscape. Again, I think the Rams, the Vikings, the Eagles, and the Bucks are the division winners. And who's to say wild card, how that plays out? I mean, Arizona, Niners, Packers, Cowboys, heck, Saints, maybe Bears are sniffing it. It's a lot of teams that could sniff and sneak into the NFC wildcard race. Um, So we'll see how all that plays out. But again, can't wait for the NFL season. It's going to be an absolute blast. I think the best season we've had so far. Uh, So I really cannot wait. But that's all I got for this episode. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Tell your friends. Trust the Doc Sports Podcast, uh, episode one. Next episode, we'll touch on sort of the AFC landscape uh, side of things, as well as some more news from the NFL and NBA. Uh, I'll see you guys later. Peace.